a gray, oblong blur. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? A gray, oblong blur. It's unfortunate that that's the experience of many of us because that isn't exciting, but it should be exciting. You know, when we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, my go-to scholar is a guy by the name of uh, Gordon Fee. And uh, my favorite book by Gordon Fee is uh, God's Empowering Presence is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Gordon Fee is an interesting guy. He started off life as a Pentecostal preacher and uh, did that for a number of years before he became a scholar. And, and then he felt the call of God on his life. And the call of God in his life was to do uh, this kind of weird ministry, this bridging ministry. He realized that there was a bit of a, a divide in the church between the sort of the evangelical Orthodox church and, and the Pentecostal church. And he said, I realized that what God wanted me to do with my life is to bring some of the life and the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit to what is sometimes the dead orthodoxy of the evangelical church and also to bring some scriptural truth to some of the mindlessness that happens in the Pentecostal church. So he wanted to bring some life to me and some sense to this guy and his crew over here. That was his ministry, and he did a great job of this ministry. And I just, I love his stuff. Now, um, Gordon Fee, in his, uh, one of the times I was taking, a, a, I think it was in a class, or one of the things I read about him, I don't remember which, he said he had a student, and they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, this student said to him, God the Father, I think I've got a bit of a handle on. And God the Son, I know quite well, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is something of a gray oblong blur to me. He's just a, a, an expression of the Godhead that doesn't make much sense. That's a bit fuzzy for us that we can't quite get a handle on sometimes. And that is such an incredibly tragic shame. Because the truth is that the Christian life is intended to be life in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us the intimacy with God that we need. It's the Holy Spirit who lets us know who Jesus is. It's the Holy Spirit that fills us with gifts and the fruits of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace. And he's the one that encourages us and excites us. And so for him to remain as a great oblong blur and not somebody, not an expression of the Godhead that we don't know is an incredible tragedy. It's a matter of fact, I'd say it's a disaster for our Christian life if we don't know who the Spirit is and we don't live our life in him and in his power and in his way. Now, look at the person right beside you, or as close to the beside you as you can. Wouldn't it be great if that person was Jesus, right here, right now? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Just kind of have him sitting there and you could say, what in the world did you mean by this? Or Jesus, you know? I just you know, want to love you. All, all these different things. Jesus, what do you have to say about it? Wouldn't that be a great thing? To have Jesus sitting right beside us. It would be, right? I mean, you've got to admit. But Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go. But what I'm going to give you is better than me sitting right beside you. It's better for you to go. Because of what I'm about to do, I'm about to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to come and dwell within you and amongst you, all of you, wherever you are, wherever you go, I'm going to be there. So let's dig in and see this whole thing about what Jesus says is best. We're going to pick it up uh, a little bit where we left off a bit last time because it sets the scene. 
when the advocate comes, whom I will send for you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. The word that's used there is a, it means a religious service, a, a liturgy to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But truly, I tell you, it is for your good. Or some translations will say, it is better for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world, that's Satan, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I've said, the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. John, all the way through into chapter 16. Jesus says, look, I am going away, but my presence, my empowering presence, my presence I'm sending to you to be in you and with you all the days of my life. I'm going away, but my presence, my spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell with you. So who is this Holy Spirit and what does he do? So that he's not this gray oblong blur. Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is, the fancy word for the Greek word is, is a paraclete. Now the reason I give you that fancy word there, it's a transliteration. You know what transliteration is? That's where you take a, a Greek letter and you just put the English letter underneath it. So it makes up an English word, right? And I'm giving you that because there's no English word that captures Everything that this word means. You can see it's made up of a couple of different words. The first one is, is para, like to run parallel, right? And it's the sense that, it, that the Holy Spirit is God beside us, God parallel to us, God with us, okay? So that's kind of, and it's translated in your Bibles all kinds of different ways. The NIV uses advocate, some of it will be counselor, all of these different things. Because this word paraclete, this, this title of paraclete, this description, talks about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. It's captured in his name. And it means things like uh, an assistant, someone who comes alongside you to assist you, to empower you, to enable you to carry on. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he comes alongside of us and he helps us. He empowers us to live out the Christian life that we have. He empowers us to get through life in the way that Christ would have us get through life. The translation I had was an advocate, 
one who pleads our case, one who comes and fights for us and stands on our side and says, listen, this is, what Alan, you know, this is what's going on here. He's going to take our position and take our side on things. Whether it's in our, in our conversations against those that hate us, as we saw last week, or even to advocate with the Father for us. And the, the, it means, uh, one, it's a legal term actually, it means that one who pleads the case for another person. So they'll be in a court of law and the Holy Spirit comes and, he, and he's, he understands everything. He's the one that can make the best argument for who we are. And, and so he comes and, and he, he pleads our case for us on our behalf. And we don't have the words to say. The Holy Spirit pleads our case. Uh, some of you will have the translation, he's a counselor. A paraclete is a counselor. He's one who comes and gives us advice and guides us and leads us and comforts us and shows us the right way of talking about things. The Holy Spirit sometimes is, is an intercessor, very uh, similar to the word advocate. He's, when we have situations in our life, you remember this one, Romans, right? I think it is. When we have situations in our life that we, we don't even have words to express, either our joy or our sorrow or our grief, when we can't even express it, the Holy Spirit comes and intercedes on our behalf, prays on our behalf, and, and, and expresses what's in our hearts with, with moans and groans that cannot be uttered, it says. And so he conveys, he intercedes on our behalf. He's our helper, a helper that comes. The Holy Spirit, some of you have, he's the comforter. He's the one, the paraclete is one who comes beside us and gives us comfort and encourages us when things get so hard we know we can't do it anymore it's the holy spirit that comes as he dwells within us and speaks to our hearts and encourages us when it feels like all is lost the spirit comes and reminds us of who jesus is and who we are in him and he comforts us along that way this is just what the word paraclete means it means a whole bunch more too but it gives you a sense of this is the advocate this is the one this is who the spirit is and what's interesting is is that um he comes in the heat of spiritual battle. If you notice the context and remember where this word is, John has just been recorded Jesus' words saying, listen, the world's going to hate you. And even in this passage, the day is going to come when religious people are going to kill you and they're going to think that they are doing God a favor by killing you. They're going to think that it's a, a, a liturgy, that it's a, a spiritual thing to kill you. And in the midst of that experience... That spiritual warfare, which sometimes became and was about for them to become physical. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and shows us who he is. It's interesting, Catholic theologian Raymond Brown says, listen, but when you, when you read that, it's easy for us to sort of take a defensive position, isn't it? When people hate us, you know the Spirit's going to come and going to do all these things. And, but, but Brown points out, no, no, yeah, it's in the midst of spiritual battle, all right. But this is how God puts us on the offensive. In the face of persecution, in the face of difficulty, in the face of the, the forces of darkness coming against us. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to have the courage to move forward and to stand for God and his love and his grace and his truth, even in the face of death. The Holy Spirit, when things get tense, when things get tough, when the spiritual battle is at its hottest, it's then that we become more aware of who the Spirit is. It's then that we become more dependent on the Spirit. It's then that we become ready to lift his name up high and move forward in his power because his presence is with us. And one of the ways that the Spirit leads us on offense 
is the battle against lies. The advocate who is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. See, that's how he's described. You know, Time magazine in 2017, uh, they had a, a, a front cover that says, is truth dead? It was a takeoff of the 1960s cover, which said, is God dead? A big famous cover of Time magazine. In 2017, they came in, they said, is truth dead? Have we lost the sense of what truth is? You, saw, you can read philosophers in, in today, and they're asking this question, do we live in a post-truth era? Have we lost the sense of what truth is? Have we, can we even agree on what truth is? Is there even such a thing as truth that can be grasped? And some philosophers would say, no, that it isn't. It's so easy for us to lose truth in favor of self-interest and to have my truth, what's true for me, so I can live the way that I want to live and I can respond in the way that I want to respond but the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And it's so important that we have the sense of the spirit's truth because you see, without truth, you can't have trust. Because you can't count on anything. And if you can't have trust, entire systems fall apart. Whether it's your marriage, your friendship, society in general you don't have truth you can't have trust you don't have trust then you can't function as a society and so this 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 role of, of who the spirit is as the spirit of truth is is absolutely essential for life and certainly life together Jürgen Moltmann has said that that he points out in this article I read it's a good article he said you know we've got to remember that that the Greek word for truth is aletheia it means unconcealedness unconcealedness and what it's saying is that when the Holy Spirit who he is is he comes and the truth is concealed from our eyes there's all kinds of things that will stop us seeing the truth uh, it might be prejudice might be hurt might be fear might be uh, believing in lies there's all kinds of stuff that gets in there that conceals the truth even our own prejudices right and what the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth does is he comes and he, he peels away those things that mask the truth so that we can see the truth, so that we can really see what's going on, so that trust can be rebuilt. And when trust is rebuilt, then relationships can be rebuilt. And so it's so important that the Spirit comes and he reveals that there is actually a truth and the Holy Spirit can allow us to not only see that truth, but to live that truth. Because he's going to say in verse 13 of chapter 16, he leads us into that truth. So the Holy Spirit reveals truth. This is why he's important for worship, for our corporate worship in particular. You might remember back in chapter 4, Jesus says, you know, that whole thing, you know, with the woman at the well. Remember that whole deal? And, and she kind of does this red herring about, you know, my, my answers say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. You say this, da, 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 da. And Jesus says, listen, the day is coming when you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's this whole idea of the Holy Spirit coming and joining with our spirit and revealing for us who this Jesus is. Because when we truly understand who this Jesus is, we can't help but worship him with all that we are. The spirit of truth allows us to worship in truth because we see Jesus for who he truly is. And it just throws us on our faces before him.
Third thing in this passage about who the Holy Spirit is, is that he is God Almighty. He is God's presence around and in us. It has that little phrase in there. Did you notice this? Uh, I was saying the, the Spirit who comes from the Father. Now, here's the deal. Honestly, there's this almost incomprehensible theological debate about what exactly that means. At least incomprehensible to this preacher. I mean, it gets really technical, and what does it mean, and, you know, is he really from, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you get really into the weeds on that whole thing. But essentially, here's the essential truth out of it. The Holy Spirit is God. He comes out of the center of the Godhead, out of the Trinity. He comes out from the Father, even as Jesus comes out from the Father. So the relationship of the Spirit to the Father and the Spirit to Jesus is the same as Jesus to the Father and Jesus to the Spirit. It's the same kind of language, right, that the Father sends the Son. It's the same sort of idea. And so what, what, God's, what Jesus is trying to say here is that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. He is God himself. He is a person who can lead and guide and be grieved and be heard from and speak to, who as a person intercedes from us. He's not just some, he's not like the, um, like sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as an it. As this sort of ghostly thing that's not really God. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty himself. A person. Just as much as God the Father is a person and Jesus the Son is a person. He is God's personal presence in and with us. And that is why Jesus says, it's good that I'm gone. Because you see, when Jesus was here on earth as man in the flesh, he could sit beside you. But if he's sitting beside you, then he doesn't get to sit beside me. And how can he sit beside you? But when Jesus comes in his presence as the Holy Spirit, he sits beside all of us. He comes parallel to all of us. He dwells within all of us. This is God dwelling within us. It's almost incomprehensible that when we think that God himself is present in our midst right now, God himself is present right now. That's why Paul, Apostle Paul goes on and says, listen, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's the place where God dwells. And when you violate the church, when you hate the church, when you speak against the church, when you divide the church, when you do all these things, then you are actually violating God himself because this is where he dwells. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us the church, that makes us the, his temple, that makes us one. And then because we are part of the church, we get as individuals to be temples of the Holy Spirit too. It's both things are true. Read 1 Corinthians. God's presence, God's very presence amongst us is here right now. Because the Holy Spirit is present here right now. Well, okay, if he's going to be hanging around here, what does he do? What is it that this passage says that he does? Well, I mean, obviously, you'd have to take the whole Bible to get a sense of what the Holy Spirit does. But what about in this passage? Here's the framework. Fundamentally, what the Holy Spirit does is carry on the work and ministry of Jesus. Okay, that's, in this passage here, that's, that's going to be the emphasis that, that Jesus is saying, listen, I've been here doing my work and now I'm going to go away 
but don't worry because the Holy Spirit is going to carry on my work. Okay, that's the framework into which we've got to think about all of these things. But then he said, there's a few specific things that he says, that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do. First of all, the Holy Spirit is going to testify about and glorify Jesus. He's going to testify about and glorify Jesus. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to unveil for us who Jesus is. Without the Holy Spirit's work in our life, Jesus becomes a much more a diminished person to one level or other. You know, I have a friend who um, doesn't believe that Jesus is God. But they will say, they said, Alan, I believe that Jesus is the most significant figure in history. I just don't think he's God. It's true, without the evidence of the Holy Spirit, I mean, you think about Jesus, he is one of the most, if not the most significant figure in history. I mean, he's in all of the major religions, and he has affected the society so much, all of these different things. But it's the Holy Spirit's witness that comes to our heart and says that Jesus is much more than a significant person. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the glory of God. And it's the Holy Spirit who takes the, the person of who Jesus is and imprints it on our heart. It's the Holy Spirit who allows us to experience the glory of Jesus. I mean, you've had that sometimes in the midst of worship, right? I mean, sometimes, this is me, maybe you're better than me. But sometimes, you know, you worship, it, it, sometimes it can become a little bit rout, you know, and I might be distracted or whatever. Because I'm always worried, why is this working, is this person, blah, blah, blah. But you know what it is? You've, you've experienced this. When the Holy Spirit descends upon you. And somehow something in our heart is cracked open. And somehow in the midst of that, you, you experience Jesus in a way that's new and fresh and marvelous and brilliant and you can hardly stand up. It's the Holy Spirit allowing us to experience the glory of Jesus in all that he is all that he has been and all that he will be when he comes and returns and all of the world will see him in his glory and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to catch glimpses of that. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is who's going to hold you together. You know, we sing that song, you know, uh, without you I fall apart, you know. And it, it's true internally, and that's what we've been seeing about this whole thing about the counselor and the advocate and, and, and all of those different things uh, internally. But it, it's not just internally that the Spirit keeps us together. It's the Holy Spirit who keeps us together in unity. You see, if you take a look at what, what Jesus is talking about there in verses 4 through 7, essentially what he says is this, look, so far I've been with you, 
And I've been able to hold this diverse group of people together as one unit. I mean, and they were diverse. I mean, they were different in politics. They were different in social economic status. Uh, they were different uh, in background. They were different in economic uh, standing. All of these different. I mean, there's just this incredible variety amongst the disciples. And Jesus says, my person, I've been at the center of this whole thing, and I've been able to hold you together in unity in spite of the fact that you're all so very different, and sometimes you have disagreements and so on, but, but you've been hanging together because I've been here in your midst. But now I'm going to go away. And left alone, you'll fly apart. And so I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to maintain your unity. To take all of your diversity, your politics, your socioeconomic, your sex, your whatever, all of these different things. I'm going to take all of you and you're going to be so different. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to bind you together as one body, as the church. And that's why when we divide the church, we violate the Holy Spirit. It's why the Bible takes so seriously division within the church. Because it takes the work of the Holy Spirit and it spits in his face. As Jesus says, no, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And one of the functions of the Spirit is to hold you together as the church. Even when there's such radical differences between you. Even when these, these differences emerge and we realize the firm beside is like, well, I didn't realize you thought that. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps our hearts bound together. And when I find myself divided against you, it's because I'm deafening myself and hardening myself from the work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says, I'm, I've been holding you together and I'm going to be gone, so now I'm going to send the Spirit and he will hold you together so that you stay on mission and you stay in a place where you are surrounded by people who are like me and love you like I love you. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does, it says in verses 8 through 11, is he reveals and convicts. I'm just going to read it for you again. Ah, it'll take too long. This passage, some scholars say, is the most difficult passage to interpret in the entire Bible. And there's all kinds of, D.A. Carson, I think he's got seven different interpretations of these verses that he has in here. It's really, really hard because a lot of it's kind of technical and would just drive you crazy. And so uh, let me just sort of <laughs> um, grab what I think is the center of, of this, Okay. Because the debate is, what does the Holy Spirit do in terms of this whole thing about revealing, convicting, and how does he do it? Okay, that's, and you get all kinds of different combinations of those, of those things. And it really, a lot of it's sent in, the, the little phrase there in the NIV, it says, he's going to prove to the world, he's going to prove to the world to be in the wrong, that whole thing, right? So sometimes it'll say, he's going to convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and so on. It, it, it's one word, and it can mean a whole spectrum of things. I think we've got the spectrum up on here. In its most uh, sort of um, innocuous way, it can just mean to expose. And, and that's the idea of unveiling the truth, right? And so it says, listen, what the Holy Spirit can do is he can expose how the world is messed up. 
Okay? That just means just something as simple as that. Then the word could also mean, but not only that, but it's going to, this word means it's going to convince the world and people that things are messed up. And then you can go a little bit further down that continuum and say, you know what? If, if I've revealed how things are messed up, and I've convinced you that things are going to be messed up, then what that is, is the summons to change. It's going to be, listen, I want you to change this. And then if you go further down that road, it goes to say, well, but if you don't change, if it's been revealed and you've been convinced and you won't change, then it can mean you can condemn. It's a, it can be used as a, le- this is fundamentally a legal term, I guess. It can, it can mean to condemn. And then eventually it can mean to punish, okay? So you can see how, it, you know, depending on where you're going to fall on that spectrum, depends on how you understand this passage of Scripture. So it's the spectrum of what this word means, of what the Holy Spirit actually does. So let me just see if I can just grab into the center of it. He first of all, he says, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to expose or convince or, or whatever in regards to sin. Now, here's what I want you to notice. The word for sin there is singular. You see that? It's not, I'm going to convince the world of sins, plural. It's sin. And what he's talking about is this, the fundamental sin is not knowing who Jesus is. Right? Do you see how it says that? I mean, what does it say? He's going to convince the world of sin because of me. You see, the job of the church is not to run around trying to convict the world of sins of all the things that are wrong. The job of the witness of the church is singular. You don't understand who Jesus is. That's it. Because you see, if we can get people and myself to understand this is who Jesus is, then all of the rest of the stuff, all of the sins, plural, kind of fall into place, don't they? And so this is what, you know, the Holy Spirit comes, why? To, to show who Jesus is, why? Because when we understand who Jesus is, and then we, we change, we become convinced, and we, we change as to who Jesus is, and we put Jesus at the center of my life, the center of our world, then all of a sudden all these other sins, plural, get taken care of. Because if Jesus is in my life, I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to murder you. I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to... All of these different things. And so the first thing is, is to convict the world in terms of sin, singular, who Jesus is. That's why I appreciate, you've been probably, hopefully a bunch of you have been following Chris's devotions. It's been really good. And he's been emphasizing the centrality of Jesus in it. About living our life with Jesus at the center. So that's the first thing. He said the second thing that the, the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to convict the world or convince the world regards to righteousness because I have ascended to the Father. What in the world does that mean? Uh, what he's saying is that, listen, what the Holy Spirit does is it proves that Jesus is who he is by him rising from the dead and being seated at the right hand of heaven. And so the way to get right with God, because that's what righteousness fundamentally means, right? Is to be in a right relationship with God. 
He said that what the Holy Spirit's going to do, he's going to show that because Jesus ascended to heaven, it's going to say, listen, this is the way of righteousness. You want to get right with God, you get right with God through Jesus. It's not through the law, as the Jews would say. It's not through some kind of virtue or morality, as the Greeks might say. It's not being a good person like the average funeral service will say. But it's trusting in Jesus, the conqueror of death and the penalty of sin, being separated from God. Righteousness, getting right with God, is by believing that Jesus is the Savior. And he says the third thing that the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to convince the world or convict the world in terms of judgment. Because the prince of this world, that is Satan, has already been judged and defeated And now Jesus is Lord of creation. And the Holy Spirit is going to reveal and be in the business of convincing people and convicting people and causing people to change because now Jesus is the Lord of creation, the Lord of the world because Satan has been judged, condemned and defeated and he can be in your life by coming to Jesus. So how does the Spirit do this? Well, Big debate, but there's a few things to remember. To, to be sure, the Holy Spirit works in all of our hearts. The Holy Spirit works on whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world. But when we get right down to it, there's a couple of things to remember. The first is to remember that we said that the, what Jesus is pointing out is that the Holy Spirit is going to just continue on his work. He's going to continue on his ministry. And so the way that the Holy Spirit is going to convict, convince, and punish, or whatever, the world of sin, is the same way that Jesus did. Exactly the same way. Largely by living a life of love and grace and truth. To confront evil, to be sure. But overwhelmingly to live this life that reveals the heart of God. And if the Holy Spirit is going to convince the world, convict the world, whatever word you want to use of these things, he's going to do it in the same way that Jesus did because he's just an extension of Jesus' ministry. So if you want to know how the Holy Spirit is going to convince, convict, condemn, or whatever word you want to use the the world of these things, you just have to read the ministry of Jesus and see how he did it because the Spirit is going to do it the same way. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes to believers. The Holy Spirit empowers believers. The Holy Spirit changes believers in Jesus. And the way in which the Holy Spirit largely will make this difference in the world is through believers in Christ. It's by transforming us into the image of Jesus. By empowering us to carry on the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit works through his people, his church. And as we live the life of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, in contrast to the ways of the world, sin is exposed and truth is revealed. And so we're thrown back into what we've been saying that Jesus has been hammering away on throughout this entire part of this final teaching. And before he goes and dies, this is his final stuff. And again and again and again, he's just been coming back and saying, listen, it comes back to what I did In body first, the love of washing feet. And then from then on in, he just talks about love. 
The Holy Spirit convicts the world of all of these things by Christians living the life of love that Jesus lived. By laying down our life and washing feet. Finally, the action of the Holy Spirit in this passage. He says he guides us into truth. When it talks about that, it's not just speaking about an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. But it's the Holy Spirit who guides us and empowers us into a way of life of conformity with Jesus' way of life and Jesus' teaching. Because in the Bible, to know something is to do something. That's what it means. And as the Holy Spirit says, listen, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to guide you into all truth. What he's saying is, not just so that you can know it in your brain, so that you can live it in your life and in your daily walk. We're going to live out this truth as we live the way of God. There's a couple of passages that lay from the Old Testament that lay behind this teaching. A couple in the Psalms. One of them, Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. You see that? Teach me in the path to live this life the way in which we go. Psalm 143 says a very similar thing. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on this level ground. He leads us and empowers us to live the life of Christ in conformity with his teaching and his being and so be a witness to the church. Man, the Holy Spirit, he must not remain in our life an oblong gray blur. Because the Christian life is life in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who connects us with God. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables us to see Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us for our mission to the world. And it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us and leads us to live the life of Jesus before a watching and skeptical world. No wonder Jesus said, it's better that I go. Because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to come and dwell amongst you and within you so that you can carry on my mission. I'm going to send you the Spirit who is God's very presence within and among us. Almighty God, we come before you in prayer. And we think about you, Holy Spirit, God's very presence in and around us. And there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your all-living hope, your presence, Lord. And we've tasted and we've seen of the sweetest of love when our hearts become free and our shame is undone, your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and flood this place. Fill this atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome 
by your presence, Lord. May it ever be so. Amen.